0: Extinction, the video games podcast where I play a game for at least five hours and tell you how good it is. I'm your host, Adam, and today we delve into the Bionis and Maconis with Xenoblade Chronicles Defendive Edition. dear listeners, and this is episode 27 of Revival and Extinction, covering Xenoblade Chronicles, in particular the Defendive Edition. However, before we get into that, I'd like to welcome Revival and Extinction's very first guest, Adam, from The Good, The Bad, and The Backlog.
1: How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Adam, for having me on your show. <laughs> this will not get confusing at all. <laughs> no, no. We'll, we'll work through it. Yeah, no problem. Uh, I'll be Adam number two. You can be Adam number one since this is your show.
0: <laughs> Sounds great. So, for people that haven't heard of you before, do you just want to tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do? Sure. And where we can find you?
1: All right. So, uh, obviously, my name is also Adam. And I'm from the Good, the Bad, and the Backlog podcast, which I host with my co-host, Kieran, who lives in the UK. I'm in Australia, obviously, as you can tell from my accent. So we try to keep it like cross-continental. But basically, the show is just about playing games from our backlog, um, talking about them, having a fun time, and cracking a few jokes. So, yeah, that's me. Awesome, and um, you're on pretty much everything, aren't you? I think so, yeah. Um, if you want to find me on anything in particular, just go to my link tree, which is linktr.ee slash goodbadbacklog, and you'll you'll find me wherever.
0: Awesome, and we'll track that in the show notes as well. Cool, thanks. No no worries. Um, so, Xenoblade Chronicles, I know it's particularly close to your heart, And mine after playing it, a little bit peek behind the curtain there about what we think about the game. Um, How about your history with the franchise?
1: Okay. Um, So, I'd sort of heard about Xenogears on PlayStation 1 many, many years ago because I was a budding JRPG fan around the PS1 era. And obviously, it was all about Final Fantasy. And I don't think Xenogears ever came out in Australia. So I never got a chance to play it myself. But I'd heard about it when the internet came around. So I was like, okay, this sounds cool. Then Xenosaga came out, and I missed all of those games on PS2. So I was like, ah, that's on my radar. I'm going to play that one day. And then lost my chance to play that. And then the Wii came out. And then a little game called Xenoblade Chronicles was announced for it. But it wasn't released anywhere yet. Then eventually it came out in Australia and I got it like day one and was absolutely blown away by it. So I've just sort of found this love for the Xeno franchise, starting with Xenoblade Chronicles. I've played every single one of them since then, except for the old ones, because that's like, again, on the backlog, but I'll get there one day. And um, yeah, I'm a huge Xenoblade fan, so I'm more than happy to talk about it ad (laughs) nauseum.
0: Excellent. Um, so very, very similar to yourself growing up in Australia. Um, and I was an Xbox kid, as regular listeners would know. So I completely missed the majority of JRPGs until my early 20s. Mm. Um, and I even missed the Wii at the time. So this definitive edition on the Switch was actually the first time I've played the game all the way through. Uh, there, I did have a little dabble in the 3DS version. Oh, yeah. um, however, bounced off it very quickly uh, because of the control scheme and the frame rate issue that was that it was quite notorious for at the time. Yeah, I don't blame um, you, to be honest. It
1: looks like absolute shit.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, it wasn't too bad as far as 3DS games go. Um, the 3D was actually utilized quite well, I feel, mm-hmm. um, but that was just a real gimmicky kind of thing, and there were abundant JRPGs that were better at the time um on the 3DS for me to play. Yeah. So I really, really missed it until I scored it on the Switch. Um I did go back and check out the saga anime, um which I apparently watched before because as I was watching it the memories just came flooding back and a real deja vu of oh I had watched this before. Um, it's terrible, like most game adapt or most anime adaptations of games are. Yeah. Um, so I definitely wouldn't recommend that that is your first point of call if you are looking at jumping into the Xeno metaverse.
1: Look, I actually did that anime as well, and I forgot to mention it because I forgot that I watched it myself. Um, I didn't think it was that bad. It was okay. But. If you want to like expose yourself... Oh, Jesus. If you want to expose yourself <laughs> to anything Xeno-related, definitely don't start with the anime. And um, one of the other things that I did, especially related to Xeno Saga, was I looked up on YouTube all cutscenes, and it goes for like 14 hours or something like that. But I watched the entirety of the first game from uh, through YouTube that way, and it was very interesting, but not interesting enough for me to watch the next two games because they were also like 14, 15 hours long. I'm like, oh God, I don't have time to sit here and watch like all these cutscenes to figure out what happens. But yeah, yeah, very interesting.
0: That's how I feel that I might try and tackle Metal Gear Solid. Um, because yeah, that is also quite cutscene heavy and a quite hard saga to get into, I believe. I think-
1: I think you could get away with it for Metal Gear Solid. Those games are short comparatively. Like there's long cutscenes, but at least it's not like a 100-hour journey or something like that. So, yeah, Yeah. I'd recommend it.
0: Okay. Well, we'll dive into the obligatory Wikipedia bullshit then for Mm -hmm. Xenoblade Chronicles, which is an action role-playing game developed by Monolith Soft and published by Nintendo for the Wii. Uh, was initially released in Japan in 2010, and then later released in Power Regions in 2011, and North America got last in 2012. A port came out for the new Nintendo 3DS, released in 2015, and then the remaster for the Switch was released in May 2020. Uh, it's the first entry in the Xenoblade Chronicles series, a subseries which forms part of the larger Xeno meta-series like we've talked about, although there's no direct narrative connection to the previous games. Uh, the game features navigation through an open world split into zones, lots of side quests tied to party members of indie, and a real time action based battle system, which incorporates the main character's ability to see brief glimpses of the future. So a general setting of the world itself, and I guess a spoiler warning. Um, I know I'm pretty heavy handed with my spoilers on this show, However, this is definitely a game that you should experience yourself for the first time. Um, I messaged Adam to lots and lots uh, throughout my time playing this game, going through (laughs) the story beats and saying, wow, basically. Um, Yeah. So, yeah, this is definitely a game that you shouldn't spoil yourself on. Uh, We'll be covering the basic story beats up to the end of chapter eight for today
1: cool yeah i definitely recommend not listening to anything spoiler related if you intend to play this game at any point because that's the the beauty of it is that is just discovering it for yourself how crazy shit can get (laughs) so yeah play it for yourself for sure
0: and i was quite proud of myself actually going 11 years, um, <laughs> not being exposed to the spoilers as well. Yeah. Um, I think
1: because it's so complicated, it's really hard to get given like a particular spoiler. You know what I mean? Like you can't just be like, oh, all right, that's a spoiler for Xenoblade. But it's like, what's the context of that situation? You really have no idea until you play for yourself.
0: Yeah. And the memes are quite good, I feel, at um, being quite spoiler free yeah. as well. Yeah, definitely. So jumping into gameplay, uh, so like I mentioned before, action turn-based in combat and basically running around the world, completing quests and doing other tasks and exploring. How did you find the combat as opposed to some other JRPGs of its like?
1: Um, That's a good question. I actually... Didn't really like the combat very much when I first played it on the Wii. Um, that's mostly because I'm a bit, I'm a bit of a uh, turn based combat sort of. Um, what's the word I'm thinking of? Aficionado? Oh, yeah, I was gonna say that, but I'm, I'm more like a <laughs> old-school, like purist. I like my JRPGs to be turn-based most of the time. So, I was a little bit, it was a bit of a learning curve for me to sort of adjust to this more action oriented combat system, which is very similar to a lot of MMOs. And I'm not an MMO player, so that was also a bit of a turn off. However, um, the more I've played it, the more I've enjoyed it, and the more I sort of accept it for what it is. But I will never say that a Xenoblade game has the best combat or anything like that because it's just not my personal preference. I play them despite the combat, not because of the combat. But I do think the combat is solid and and serviceable and does its job very well. It's just got this whole thing about like auto attacking, like your character auto attacks, it's basic attack automatically, like you don't press any buttons or input for that and I hate that that kind of control is taken away from you. Like the most control that you get in combat is by selecting arts or skills and abilities when the cooldown has refreshed itself or whatever. So that's how you interact with the combat itself. And yeah, it wasn't really to my taste in the beginning. I've come to accept how it is now. So that's fine. But yeah, what about you? How did you feel about it?
0: Yeah, I'm very much the same, but on the opposite side of the spectrum. So I'm very much a action RPG player. Um, So I prefer to not have much break in between. Um, growing up, my big influences were like DMC and then as I got older, Bayonetta and those type of uh, games. Yeah. Uh, so holding back and not being able to press a button 50 times and have 50 things happen was quite frustrating initially. Yeah. Um, like you said, the auto attack can be quite, I guess, daunting um, in a way. And until you really get your head around the repertoire of how to use the skills and different arts properly. Uh, It can be quite difficult, I found, at least initially. Um, And then as I moved through the game, quite the opposite happened. I found combat a bit too easy. Um, I found myself getting into the real kind of systematic, just doing the same thing over and over and over, uh, using the, the topple kind of method, To move through through enemies and do a real rinse and repeat. Yeah. Um, However, at no time did I really find it boring and have to, like, turn off the game and just say, oh, no, look, I've had had enough for today. Um, So I found the combat overall therapeutic or or zen in a way, um, because... Like you said uh, earlier, once you start really delving into the different arts and skills and the like, you can get a real rhythm and a real flow to a point, and that just really made the gameplay kind of flow for me throughout.
1: Yeah, I think I agree. Um, the The thing that you brought up about the um, the topple combos and stuff like that, I totally agree that like once once you get that sort of rhythm going of um and for people listening who don't understand this there are these sort of afflictions you can kind of put on the enemies or status effects basically which is like break topple launch uh and smash there's a couple i think there's one more which is like burst maybe um but either way this is like a combo that you have to do in a particular order and very specific skills to specific characters can afflict these uh kind of like status effects or conditions onto an enemy so once you get the characters in your party who can do that you're basically just doing the same combo almost every single battle especially every boss battle you're always trying to break their defense topple them which means they're like f- falling over They're paralyzed briefly then you launch them which means like you get them aerial like up in the air and then you smash them which is like a like a volleyball spike where you like hit them down to the ground and then that's like a completed combo which does massive damage so once you start on that rhythm you keep going and going and going and then it's almost every single battle that you're doing that so i do wish that there was a little bit more variety in the kind of combos that you can do and this and this is a complaint that i have across basically the entire franchise is it's always like that. I wish there was like different variations. But despite that, like I I said, I I found the combat serviceable and it did its job. So, you know, good enough.
0: Yeah. And I found the leveling system for the skills in itself uh, pretty pretty good overall. Um, Mm. By in number one, at least, it's through purchase of the skill books. And I felt like They did, and those skill books were kind of linked to vendors in areas. So, whilst you could grind and level up um, throughout an area, you couldn't like power level yourself with your skills um, because those books and vendors would only unlock once you reached a certain point in the story, uh, which I find really good in some ways and bad in others, um, mainly because I'm time poor and I prefer to power level so I can just breathe through a game, potentially. Mm. Um, But I feel like for the the average JRPG player who probably has more time on their hands than me, having it gated, the progress gated that way is quite good for the player and provides more of a challenge throughout.
1: Yeah. It's interesting that you say how time poor you are because I'm curious to find out what your final playtime was for this.
0: Uh, It ended up being 62 hours, including the DLC.
1: Okay, that's not too bad. That's not too bad. For all things considered, like when someone tells me they're time poor and they're just like getting through games, I'm expecting them to not engage in any side contact content whatsoever and just blaze through it. And I really feel like Xenoblade as a franchise shines when you're not under a time crunch. Like it's really about taking your time exploring, and kind of doing it at your leisure. And uh, my final time, I think, was 75 hours. And that's short for me for a Xenoblade game because I had already previously played, obviously, the Wii version, so I kind of knew it inside out already. I was like, okay, I know exactly what I want to engage in and what I don't want to engage in, so I'm just going to play it at my leisure. And it was under 100 hours, unlike every other game that I played in Xenoblade. So, yeah. Yeah.
0: I did drop the combat level down to easy after, I think, chapter three or four Um, because, yeah, on normal, I was just, yeah, obviously not grinding enough um, and finding myself losing.
1: Okay. Well, that would explain why you found combat easy (laughs) because there is (laughs) sometimes when you come across enemies in the field that absolutely just slaughter your party.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, so there is a day-night cycle in the game where most of those stronger enemies come out, um, I think, as you find. So in the day, you might be versing enemies around the 10 to 15 level, and then at night, uh, you'll be walking, and it just changes to night, and then suddenly this enemy who's level 75 pops up in front of me, yeah, and because I've been walking on that direct path, it engages, and I die. <laughs>
1: Yeah, that's um, that's definitely uh, one of the things I, I love about Xenoblade is um, I'm just going to transition it into sort of exploration. Yeah, um, but when you explore certain environments, there will be enemies in that environment. Even if you're like, even if you're like right near the beginning of the game, which is an early low level area, you'll still stumble upon enemies that are like end game optional bosses. So, if you walk into their line of sight and aggro them, they're just going to, like, one-hit kill you. So, I love that there's this sort of variation in enemy levels and stuff. And it sort of also allows you to, or incentivizes you to explore the level. Because not only are there, like, hidden passages and secrets and treasure that you wouldn't find otherwise by just progressing the story. But you come across all these optional bosses and unique enemies and you go, Ah, I'll remember this guy for later so that once I finish the main story or at least gotten up to an appropriate level, I can take on this level 75 massive gorilla-looking thing in the first area. So, I love that because it incentivizes you to come back to environments that you haven't been to for a while.
0: Yeah, I really enjoyed that facet of the game as well. Mm. And you might get that quest to defeat that uh, super boss, for want of a better word, Uh, when you go through the level the first time, so you can get the quest and go, oh, okay, this must be at my level. And then you rock up there. And yeah, like you said, you're versing a level 75 gorilla. (laughs) So I found that a really good part of the game. And it does really encourage that extra exploration. Um, (laughs) Speaking of exploration, though, the Collectorpedia. Um, Oh Yes (laughs) So in each area uh, There are a number of collectibles As well as side quests That you can engage in Um, So the collectopedia had bugs Minerals Secret items, fruits Vegetables And maybe one other type That was one of the Chances to I guess 100% The game Uh, There would be about 2 or 3 from each item item type in each area and these were shown by glowing glowing dots on the map that were randomly generated into one of these one of these types of things um i started out really gung-ho with it going oh yep i'm gonna 100 this collectopedia and then i got about three or four or five levels in and i'm like some of these things just aren't fucking spawning what do i do <laughs> um <laughs> However, the the Definitive Edition does kind of help you cheat that by a um, a newly added area called the Nopon Challenges, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, and once you clear a certain part of the storyline, you can go back and purchase the items missing from the Collectopedia for gold. Uh, but in the first instance, it was definitely very frustrating.
1: Yeah. Look, in the Wii game, it was not nearly as uh good or generous as it is in the switch version so like still the switch version there's a lot of rng involved in whether or not you're going to pick up that last rare piece of whatever item is in that area and that can be frustrating but when i played it on the switch i'm like okay i know what i've i'm going to expect out of the collectopedia and i'm not going to actively try and fulfill every slot I'm just going to pick up every single orb I see on the way to my destination and when I'm doing side quests or grinding or whatever, I'll just pick up everything I can see. And I got most of everything and I will say it is usually worth trying to get, you know, fill these little slots up because once you do that, you unlock things like, um, I think it's mostly all gems. So gems that you like equip your character to give you special bonuses. Um... Correct me if I'm wrong. I think it's just gems, isn't it?
0: Uh, Yes. Yeah, Yeah. gems. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, I don't know. I think there's a benefit to it, especially in the lower levels. Like, you will usually get a gem, which is something that you probably wouldn't unlock for another couple dozen hours in the game. So, it's kind of like high enough level to warrant trying to complete it early, but still completely unnecessary, and you really don't need to do it unless you want to, but it gave me that dopamine rush of like, uh, ticking off a checklist sort of thing. So I'm very task oriented. Every day I write a to-do list on my fridge of what chores I have to do and I tick them off throughout the day. So as you can imagine, (laughs) doing a collectopedia is right up my alley.
0: (laughs) Yep. Yeah, definitely. Yep. And, um, did you engage with the gem crafting mechanic at
1: all? I did. I think I definitely put a lot more time in when I played it on the Wii this time around. I was like, all right, I'm just going to look up a guide so I can get this quickly over and done with to unlock exactly what it needs to unlock. And if you look it up, you'll have good combinations of which party members will be useful to generate which kind of gem that you want. So I do recommend you do that. It's not necessary, but it just makes it a little bit more time efficient if you're under a crunch. So, I definitely did that. And um, the gems, they're an interesting little mechanic because it's kind of like stat boosts, or it allows your character to, you know, like it boosts their attack, or maybe it um, reduces their cooldown, or something like that. And you can use them to make different builds of your character, but they're not nearly as versatile as you would find in sort of other JRPGs. But I think they're versatile just enough to warrant their existence.
0: Ah, uh, most definitely. Um, I think I stumbled on an XP level two gem. Yeah, which doubled the amount of XP that I was receiving throughout uh, the game, and I got that pretty. I was pretty lucky enough to get that early on. Um, so that also helped with the grinding aspect for myself. Yeah. Um, speaking of items, though. One thing that I cannot praise this game enough for that so many RPGs fuck up is having stats tied to armor cosmetically. So in Xenoblade Chronicles, your the way your armor looks and the stats tied to armor are completely different. Um, so you can equip armor, say let's say Gorgonite armor that has really good stats... You can then change clothing to how your character looks in the overworld and cutscenes, and they're two completely different mechanics which I just can't praise the game enough for. yeah um, there's nothing worse than having to wear an iron bikini because it has plus 600 defense. <laughs> you know what I mean you want yeah. you want to have cool looking armor as well as having good stats and that's what the game separates in such a good way.
1: Yeah, you don't want your character to appear in cutscenes looking like they they've just fallen into a wardrobe and got random bits of clothes on each body part. Like you want them to look like they've got a finished final outfit whereas like in a lot of games that show armor, it's like oh, I've got like a a big metal helmet and then I've got a, a light robe and bikini bottom (laughs) you know it's like (laughs) knee-high fuck me boots you know it's just something that doesn't look right but yeah i like that you can change the cosmetic appearance of your armor to be whatever set that you have or whatever set that you want them to look like so that's a great touch
0: although that being said some of the armors far out they just looked so out there yeah and so ill-fitting on some of the characters um one character in particular that we'll talk about who's more animal-looking than the others, uh, shall we say. His armors were just completely wild and out there.
1: Yeah, I like the one that makes him look like a pineapple. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I think I went with, like, a dragon-headed one. Oh, yeah. What? Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, yeah. All right, we might as well move on to characters then. Okay. Um so like i said before uh you start off with two two main party characters i guess um uh, we'll do a little setup of the world because i missed that part mm-hmm. um so basically the setup for zanblade chronicles is you're living on the bodies of two frozen giants uh the bionis and the Maconus. so they're on the bionis there's three real types of Individuals. Uh, There's the Homs, who are closely related to humans. Uh, There's the Nopons,
1: who are little
0: hamster, gerbil, Um, guinea pig type. How would you describe the Nopons?
1: They're kind of like they're just sort of like round, fluffy, potato looking things that have like a small set of arms on their body and then their ears are also a set of arms. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> they kinda of look a little bit like Pikachu or a Pokemon or something as well, like their faces. Actually,
0: yeah, that's a really good yeah. They look like fat Pikachu. Yeah from back in the day. Yeah. And then the third people that live on the Bionis are the high Antia, who are kinda of like bird humans, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um they've kind of got angel wings coming out of their head, I'm pretty sure. Yep. Well their back, yeah. Um and they live on the Bionis, and there's been a perpetual war for thousands of years of the people on the other god, which is the Mechonis, and they're basically giant mechs, like their names say. Um, They'll come and invade, steal resources, kill people, just for the sake of it, at the outset of the game. Um, So Shulk, his friend Ryan, and other friend Fiora, they all live on Colony 6. Um, colony and, nine. Oh, colony nine. Thank yep. you. Colony <laughs> six is the other one. And um, one day they're living their peaceful JRPG lives, and one day, of course, the Macconis attack, invade, and kill Fiora. Uh, so Shulk is goes off on a quest of revenge. Um, because he has the special power to use this special weapon that can damage the mechons, Uh because normal human weapons can't really damage the mechons, which is why the Homs are kind of losing the war. However, this special blade called the Monado is able to damage the mechons. Uh, so he heads off with Ryan and uh, Fiora's brother Dunbar. Dunbar. Um, oh, Dunban. To... ...kind of go out and take revenge. And along the way... ...they meet... ...these other... ...other people... Uh, ...Shala... ...who is also a Hom... Uh, ...who's like a medic sniper... ...who was part of Colony 6... ...another human colony... ...that got overrun by the Mekon... ...and you also meet... ...a High entier, uh ...called Melia... Mm-hmm. Who is turns out later on to be the High Princess of the High Antia. And then you meet Ricky, who is your Nopon companion. And that's basically your party throughout the main portion of yeah. the game.
1: I also love how you just casually drop the first major plot twist that Fiora dies.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I did say there'd be spoilers for the for the first part. And okay. um, it's it's kind of Shulk's motivation. So I think it Yeah. It is pretty important for that one. And it happens within what, the first forty minutes of the game.
1: Yeah, the um, f- first couple of hours for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> well you obviously did more side quests than I in the first colony then.
1: Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, but yeah, so those are the characters. Um Shulk, I found to be like a really sort of bland character initially, just because of how like positive he is. And uh, I kind of hate that positivity in my characters, especially protagonists. They're just like, "We'll make it through with the power of friendship." I'm like, ah, shut up, Shulk. But he grew on me because there's a lot more to him than what first meets the eye, and his positivity I think balances everybody else out. So. Uh overall, not too bad for Shulk. What do you think?
0: Uh, yeah, I also started out not liking him. I then started liking him when he went on the revenge kind of war path. Yeah. But that kind of fizzled out really quickly. Um, and then I started disliking him again. <laughs> <laughs> However, by the end of the game and just all the trials that he kind of goes through to grow him as the hero, I guess, um, I ended up liking him by the end of the game. Yeah. And he's quite versatile in a gameplay sense, as as all characters are, like you mentioned earlier. Um, but the Monado is bloody cool to use.
1: Yeah. I, I was kind of in two minds about the Monado. So it's sort of like this game's version of kind of like, you know, Link's um, Master Sword or... Uh, what's another iconic sword like, um, Saffron? Uh, like Cloud's yeah. sword.
0: Yeah, yeah, Cloud's Buster sword.
1: Yeah, I'm. I was kind of in two minds about what I think of the design. I think it kind of looks a bit uh, lame, <laughs> 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 to be honest. But I mean, I like the idea and the concept of it. Let's just say I won't be getting any tattoos of a Monado at any point anytime soon because I just don't think it's visually very appealing it kind of looks like a kid's toy yeah
0: that's fair um yeah yeah, I definitely felt the same um yeah and it's a shame you can't like I understand for plot reasons why you can't really change Shulk using the Monado but you can go through the game without having Shulk in the party if I'm correct um
1: yeah, so, yeah, you can you can definitely change out characters, so I love that it, as it well. It boggled
0: me that you can just let Shulk use another weapon if you can just cut him out of the party entirely.
1: Um, yeah. But, you know. Uh, Did you end up using anybody else as a main character? Uh,
0: yes. Dunbar.
1: And who was that? Yeah, Dunbar. Dunban. Fuck, <laughs> I'll just re-edit. Dunban. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah, I, I think I used him as well, but he's sort of more uh, suited to being like a tank. He's an interesting character because he's like a sword user, but he's also a tank. So he's designed to take aggro from your other enemies. And um, instead of like just taking the hits like Ryan does, because Ryan is like a high HP, high defense tank, Dunban is like a dodging yeah. tank. So he like. Has really high agility, he's supposed to dodge out of the way of damage, and I really like that idea. Um, but most of the tanks I kind of left them in a non active uh party, as in, like, if they were a part of my party, I would not be controlling them.
0: Yeah, fair enough. Um, I also used Amelia yeah. as the main character for a little bit, um, just because yeah. of her high uh, Esper abilities and the ability to debuff. Yeah. Because, uh, like you said, as you get through the later stages of the game, uh, enemies start buffing themselves quite regularly, even on the easier difficulty. So, it was super handy having Melia in the party.
1: Yeah, I used her as well as one of my main characters, because if you leave her in the hands of the AI, she just does not behave the way that she's intended to, so... Um, She can be a very powerful character if you're the one that's in control of her, but if you're not in control of her, the AI just like sits there with its finger up its ass, not doing anything. So, you know, you need to make use of her yourself, and I highly recommend that people give her a try because she has a different play style as well. It's something that you don't, it's something that you haven't come across up to that point.
0: Yeah, most definitely. Yeah. Um, just going back to shock for a minute. Did you play this game in English or Japanese?
1: Oh, English. I think the Wii version was all English. I don't think there was any Japanese available. Yeah, very interesting. Yeah. So, the Switch version, I believe, has the option to change to Japanese. But because I've played the first iteration of it in English, I had to play it again in English. And I really like that all the voices are British. That's one of my favorite things about the performances in this game.
0: Okay. I'm going to be the complete opposite here. I absolutely hated the English voice acting. What? Why? This is coming from a dub anime watcher. Um, Just something about it, man. I don't know. Um, Interesting fact about Shulk's English voice actor, though. He has appeared in every main Xenoblade game. Mm
1: -hmm. Not
0: as Shulk. So there's no spoilers there. Um, But... Nintendo obviously liked him enough to use him for all future games. Um, mm-hmm. He was also the main the main character voice in Xenoblade Chronicles X as well.
1: Uh, well, one of them. Um, in that game, you can actually select whose voice you want for that character. Okay. So yep. that character is created by the player. You can look however you like, and you have like half a dozen voice options to select. And bearing in mind... It doesn't actually speak. It's just like the battle sounds that you make and the huh when you're jumping. Okay. Yeah. Um, um.
0: He obviously did did a good enough job to impress Nintendo to keep him on for future iterations, though.
1: Yeah, I think um, it's probably under contract for uh, the localization at Nintendo Europe, I think it is. So the game was localized by... I think it was Nintendo Europe because Nintendo of America didn't want anything to do with it. So that's what that's why the game is British accents because it was localized outside of America. If it was localized in America, we would be having all of these American accents. So I just like that we have a different set of accents for the first time in a JRPG in ages cuz like usually you're just stuck with those American voices and after a while it's so like boring and you have like the same actors over and over again so i'm I'm glad that it's different and especially in the next few games they expand the accents even further they've got like welsh people they've got australian people they've got like all these different dialects and accents happening and i highly recommend that you listen to it in english at okay. least xenoblade 2
0: yeah well yeah i'll give it a go again and yeah. um if not i'll at least have the option to switch it to japanese
1: I don't know if you can in the next one, but oh, potentially. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I know you definitely can in three. We'll find
0: out in about six months' time when I get around to Xenoblade 2.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, if you're a dubbed anime fan, Xenoblade 2's dub will probably appeal to you okay. more. Awesome.
0: Yeah. Um, so, Ryan. Uh, the... oh, Ryan, thank you. yeah.
1: It's Ryan time. Oh,
0: God, yeah. Where do I start with this guy? I like to compare him to Liam from Mass Effect Andromeda. Just fucking, they're on the same level of hate for me. Um, as soon as I could get him out of my party, I did. Yeah. Oh,
1: <laughs> I liked him. He's kind of like a dumb uh, brute, sort of. He's like a meathead that it's not very smart, but he has a good heart. So I let his idiocy slide. He doesn't do anything that would normally be annoying. I mean. Let me rephrase that. He doesn't do the thing that you often find in games that's a cliche where, like, the dumb idiot character fucks everything up for everybody else. You know what I mean? Like, uh, Persona 5, for example. There's a guy named Ryuji who is an idiot meathead character, and he's so dumb that he continually causes problems for his own teammates because he doesn't think before he acts. So, Ryan isn't like that. He's just an idiot, but he's a like he's kind of like a loyal dog who's just along for the ride and is always going to protect Shulk. So, that's what I appreciate about him.
0: Yeah, fair enough. He was, like, as far as AI-controlled characters go, he was very easy to utilize. I felt like I could yeah. just let him go, do his own thing. He'd buff. Um, he'd set up topples really easily. Um, so, he was that middle stage for me, that linchpin for for quite a time. I found, actually. Yep. Um, so, he was useful in battle. Um, I just hated his personality.
1: Okay. I liked it. <laughs> and, and I liked that he always showed off his stomach because most of his outfits have, like, this weird midriff thing.
0: <laughs> yeah, they they were pretty sexy as far as pixelated JRPG yeah. <laughs> outfits go. He pulled them off.
1: It reminds me of, like, those old 80s slasher movies where the guys would walk around with, like, a crop top showing their guts. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's just like a piece of historical uh, attire that you just don't see very often anymore. So, props to him for showing off the um, the yep. abs. Giving up the goods. <laughs> yeah. All right, what about Charlotte. Sharla, who I think yep. is the next one? Um,
0: so, she's the sniper slash healer um, of the party. Uh I didn't really use her outside of... When I had to, because she's, yeah, your third party member for quite a while. So you're stuck with Shulk, Ryan and Sharla. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, I didn't really like her abilities. I found Heal Bullet useful um, occasionally, but she was quite hit and miss. I found like I didn't really she was. Yeah, cool. Like I didn't not like her, but I didn't like her either.
1: As someone, uh, you mean controlling her or just leaving her in your Um,
0: party? Oh, just leaving her in her party. Like, she was fine. Nothing stand out, but nothing terrible either.
1: Yeah. She's definitely like your 100% healer-focused character. She doesn't really do damage. She doesn't really do much outside of supporting you and healing you. So, she's useful in that respect. Um, You can definitely swap her out for some other people later on and... Um, I think she might be a bit of a necessity when you go up against certain bosses and stuff. So I kind of liked her. I mean, she's a bit bland, but I liked her. Um, The problem I have with her is that sort of halfway through the story, she kind of gets forgotten. She doesn't really do much. She's just sort of there. And I mean, there's always sort of like one character in most JRPGs or RPGs in general that is sort of forgotten about as the game progresses and you're just like yeah cool benched party member yep. but yeah i like her yeah
0: after the after you kind of save colony 6 that first time she kind of goes off into obscurity like uh she has her has her parts definitely um i found that she had she was involved in a lot of the uh, what are they called the mechanic that had the heart the little side stories yeah heart, heart, heart to hearts heart.
1: Yeah, so we didn't no. mention that earlier, but a heart-to-heart is like sort of a, uh, a side conversation that you have between either Shulk or the party members between each other. And it's this really neat mechanic that sort of expands the story beyond what you're just given in the main story. So each character in your party can develop affinity for each other by helping each other out in battle. And so, if you switch through your party members consistently, then they'll grow affinity between each other. So, you can sort of come to these points on the map, which are a heart-to-heart conversation. And then you can uh, have a conversation with them and find out a little bit more about their backstory and what makes their character tick. And it's a really great way to flesh out who they actually are. So, I did most of those. And some of the stuff that you find out in those conversations is really surprising and far more... Um, weighty than you would expect just a general conversation with a party member to be.
0: Yeah, I really, really enjoyed them as well. Um, I'm even finding them better because I'm playing Persona 3 Portable at the moment. Um, I find them better than the social links in that regard um, just because of the amount of information you find and how it fleshes out the story for you. Yeah, definitely. So then uh, moving on to Dunban who I pronounced correctly for the first time this podcast, 45 minutes. <laughs> um, so he was my best boy. He was, yeah, like you said, uh, tank, however, on the dodge side, um, really good at setting up crits, really good at setting up that topple mechanic throughout. I As soon as I got him, mm-hmm. I kept him in and just leveled him up as quick as I could.
1: Yeah, Dunben's pretty good. I think I like him a lot as well because he is... Like the most adult character in the yep. group. <laughs> so he's like closer to my age. Um, outside of Ricky, who is like <laughs> older than me, <laughs> but does not behave that way. Um, so I like Dunban. Um, like, I don't know. Like, there's something about him which I find a little cliche. Like the whole, uh, you know, I don't know where I'm going with this, but it's like the whole thing of like, I'm the brooding, more mature character, but he doesn't quite fit that mold either. Like, he's brooding in a little bit and he's older, and I feel like he will take the necessary steps he has to to succeed, such as killing somebody. Like, he's willing to go that far to save the people that he cares about. But he's not like that kind of brooding character where they're just sort of off on their own, sulking. He's also quite warm and open with the rest of the party members. So he's an interesting one. I guess he's not cliche. I guess I take that back. He's an interesting character.
0: He's definitely the, yeah, like you said, the big brother of the group. Um it's yeah. always awesome to see adults in JRPGs. Um, particularly as a mid thirties man myself playing JRPGs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah. Just his utility, I think, throughout in combat, I would have died many times, I think, if I didn't have him in the party um and i feel like his connection to shulk because of mourning the loss of fiora um also kind of strengthens that bond there with him as well so he feels like he wasn't able to save fiora but he has to look after shulk which i think gives him really good motivation as a yeah i
1: don't know if we've mentioned it yet but Dunban is fiora's brother so there's that connection yeah um, and then I like that with Fiora out of the picture, Dunban and Shulk start up a relationship, and then at the end of the game they fuck. <laughs> they don't really. I'm <laughs> just making that up. That would n- that's a head on, <laughs> You know
0: that would not have gotten past Australian censorship, <laughs> with how strict it is.
1: It it would have because nobody in on the um, ratings board in Australia would play the game that long to actually get to that point. Ah, true, true. <laughs> yeah. Um. Anyway,
0: next up is Melia, the mage, essentially. Yes.
1: Yes. A fun fact: she's voiced by Jenna Coleman, who is from Doctor yeah, Who. She plays. I saw that today. Yeah, she plays a uh, Oswin. Oswin. Clara Oswald. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. I really like her. I like the actress. I like the character. I think. Her performance in it is um not the greatest, especially in the original Wii version. okay, you can tell that she's just sort of starting out. but despite that, I quite like her. and um, I like her character because she's not just a high ntier. she's like half homs as well. so she's sort of ostracized from her people. so she has a lot of like extra baggage that comes along with her. and I'm sure we'll probably talk about it later, but her story doesn't get fully uh. Wrapped up in the main story, so she's quite an integral part of the. Um, what what you call it? Is an epilogue prologue?
0: No epilogue. Epilogue, yep.
1: yeah. The um future connected. That's it. Future connected. Uh, side story thing at the end. Um, so she's yeah heavily focused on in that. But anyway, I like her. She works really well in battle. The way that she works is like she will summon these elements and then um they'll sort of yeah like you can summon three at a time and then each one does something different as far as stat buffs go and then you release the elements which will cause an attack on the enemy so it's this really interesting mechanic where you have to keep like summoning elements and then discharging them to cause damage or you know just by having it summoned you buff your party members so it's this really interesting juggling act
0: yep yeah i always love a good summoner um even though she isn't a summoner in the conventional sense, here um, they're really powerful uh, and just really good to be able to utilize throughout. So she was in my party for quite a long time, and it wasn't until we got this last party member uh, that we're going to talk about today in that I kind of like I was running with Shulk, uh, Dunban, and Melia for quite a t- quite a while. And mm. then we met Ricky. <laughs> so, Ricky yeah. is the Nippon character. Um, Nopon. out. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Lots of editing. Nippon on this one. is Japan. <laughs> and so, you go to a forest and you kind of meet the great Nippon leader, and he sends Ricky with you to be, because he's like their uh, spiritual warrior. Um, so this little furball Pikachu-looking guy is the greatest warrior of the, the Nopon clan. Um, he's hilarious. I friggin' love his banter, particularly with Ryan. Through yeah. And I find they start off really antagonistic, but then he gets really endeared by Ryan by the end of the, end of the game. Mm-hmm. Um, and just his comments. And the fact, he, he's a player. He's got like eight kids. Um,
1: you go. I thought he has like forty kids or you, something. You go as back well. to the tree,
0: and all his kids come down to like say goodbye to him before you guys leave on your quest. And I'm like, Ricky, yeah. you're a player, and um, <laughs> his outfits are the best in the game by far. Um, like like you said before, you can turn him into a pineapple, um, yeah. and a mighty dragon, and all sorts. But he's definitely your your buff and your healer. Uh, for the party
1: yes he's a good replacement for charla if you get a little tired of her because not only can he cause damage he also supports the party and can also heal his heal isn't nearly as good as charla's so um on higher difficulties you kind of need someone that's a little bit more potent as a healer but either way uh rookie is like the comedic relief character and He is probably the least annoying Nopon character throughout all of the... uh, Actually, I might take that back. But he's one of the least annoying Nopon characters in the entire franchise. So, as the games progress, I'm sure you'll see soon enough, but Xenoblade Chronicles X, which you probably won't ever get a chance to play, but that and Xenoblade Chronicles 2 have their own Nopon characters who are so fucking annoying. They're like the low points of those games, but all around Ricky is very tolerable. Um, The Nopon in Xenoblade Chronicles three are pretty tolerable as well. So they're good. But anyway, I digress. Uh, I didn't really use him too much because I had sort of my own party set up. Um, There is a secret character that is after Ricky, which I will not spoil. I'm sure that we won't spoil it, but they are, in very vague terms, probably the most versatile character. So you can use them to fulfill a bunch of different roles within your party and your team. So I use them the most. Um, but yeah, anyway, I like Ricky. He's just uh, borders that line of being annoying sometimes.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Um, the only reason I kept him in was he seemed to have really good synergy. And I think he also had a buff that gave you double XP during the day. So, I was all about the XP gain. Um, So, that's why I kept him in the majority of the time.
1: should have done more side quests. You would have leveled up even faster. Yeah,
0: I got really over side quests after 40 (laughs) or so hours. Um, There's a lot. Um, Although, a good thing about them was the majority of them weren't timed. So, yeah. if you go back to them at your leisure, um, there were those few that were. But
1: Yeah. The thing I liked about them, though, is that is that you can accept them basically as soon as you're in a new area. You can accept all of them. There's no limit to the amount that you can accept. And you do not have to return to most quest givers in order to complete the quest. Like, if you were doing a kill X amount of monster type of quest you're naturally going to unlock it as you're exploring that area anyway. And as soon as it's done, you can cash it in right then and there, get your experience, get your item. You don't have to go back to town. You don't have to do any of that stuff. It's like way more streamlined than a lot of JRPGs of that time when this first came out. So I really loved that aspect of it. And Quest, they didn't really take too much time for me. I mean, I just naturally unlocked most of them as I was progressing anyway.
0: Yep. Yeah, it wasn't until we got to the high Antia level Mm -hmm. um, that I really started to get bogged down by them because the quest givers themselves are in a lot of obscure places. And while a great feature of the Switch uh, auto-run was able to be enabled, which was so helpful sometimes. um, Yeah, I don't know. I just wanted to get, get on with the story because I was so hooked by the main story at that point. Yeah,
1: that's fair enough. Um, I know that we sort of didn't really cover this in the gameplay section, but did you do much with the town and colony affinity charts? Uh, Yeah, I did. I tried to level them up
0: as much as I could um, because they gave you the really, really good gems. Yeah. Like level four, level five gems. Um, Excuse me. So, uh, yeah, I took the time out to raise that up any type of game that has that mechanic where you're rebuilding a destroyed colony or town building i really yeah that's my jam in a jrp is um building up a town or fortress or whatever it might be so in fire emblem fates yeah expanding your town or your castle i was all for that and i think it's a feature in three houses as well so i'll have to get on that
1: um, I don't think it is. I think that just sort of naturally progresses as you continue in that game. Oh. Um But yeah, I I remember <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna shit talk another podcaster right now, but I won't say their name. Uh doesn't matter anyway, they gave up their podcast and they quit, so <laughs> um they're like uh it was this guy who was like, Oh, I'm really into Xenoblade Chronicles now, blah blah blah. And then they were discussing it and They're like, oh, things about Xenoblade Chronicles that don't make any sense. And they brought up this colony affinity thing. It's like, I don't understand what this is. What's it for? I basically never used it. I'm like, oh my God, dude, like, how can you say that you're a Xenoblade Chronicles fan if you don't even know half the fucking mechanics in the game? It doesn't make sense. Like, yes, the story is really good, but don't just play the story and ignore everything else because you're shortchanging yourself from a really good experience. So anyway... He's like a fake Xenoblade Chronicles fan who didn't even know what the fucking affinity <laughs> chart was.
0: <laughs> Ooh, contentious. Ah. Our first guess is going to get me cancelled, everyone.
1: What is it? <laughs> 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 who's who's your guess?
0: <laughs> no. Um, but, yeah, any type of town building mechanic I'm looking yeah. for. That was definitely something I put the extra time into. Yeah, I think... And I think you could also buy shops... Yeah, you could. You could. More shops would start appearing as you leveled up the town. Yep, and that also helped with your collectorpedia as well because there was a shop there that you could buy collectorpedia items from.
1: Yeah, it's actually surprisingly in depth. Um, the Colony Six re- rebuilding aspect of it, like there is way more to it than just funneling in gold to restore the town. Like there are massive like quest chains that are involved with this town that take up quite a lot of time, but reveal some really interesting things. So if you ever get a chance to like go back to it and explore it a little bit more, um, it's well worth it. Like it's well worth the time investment. It's not just like this little side thing that you can dabble in if you want to. And it's, doesn't, it's not going to have a payoff. It definitely has a payoff.
0: Yeah, most definitely. Yeah. Anyway, um, what do you think of the graphics? Oh, both in the Wii version to the Switch.
1: Okay, well the comparably the Wii version is very much like the perfect example of what an art style can do above actual graphic quality. So, um, with the caveat that I, I don't like the character models very much, and I don't think anyone really does. I think it's sort of a product of its time. But it looks a bit too much P- PS1 for me. Uh, but the environments, just the fact that they were able to do all these really amazing and visually pleasing things on a system that can't even do high definition, is jaw dropping. And I love the art, the art style, the environmental design. Whoever worked on the environments in the Wii version is a genius and they have translated that very very well into the switch there's still a little bit where you can see like especially in sort of Sotoral marsh where you look at these glowing trees and stuff and you're like mm, that looks a bit low res that looks a bit wii ish but other than that the translation from we to switch has been very very smooth and i like what they've done with this new anime sort of art style which is more in line with xenoblade chronicles 2 Really appreciate what they've done to update it. And I think it looks great. I think it looks really, really good. And it looks good whether you're playing it docked or handheld. So, um, yeah, you can't go wrong either way.
0: Yeah, I definitely second that. Um, I played the majority of this handheld and I didn't see much difference when I went to docked, which in itself was fantastic. Um, And with the amount of stuff, that is going on at one time on the screen sometimes um, with the amount of sword swinging and arts lighting up and skills being used, there was never any frame rate drops. So I can really appreciate how well done and how well remastered it was uh, for the Switch. Yeah, I know Switch Switch normally cops a lot of shit for its graphics, but not in, not in this case at all.
1: Oh. Um, I want to I want to defend the Switch cuz I think the Switch is the perfect console for keeping developers creative. And I mean that in the way that like PS5 and Xbox Series X and you know PC get stuff like y- you have access to all the fanciest ray tracing abilities and highest graphic cards and whatever else and developers can make things as photorealistic as, as they possibly want to. But to be really creative is to make something that is visually impressive on limited hardware specs. And I love the way Monolith Soft in particular with these games and the other Xenoblade games and their work that they've done on Breath of the Wild and all that sort of stuff. They've really proven exactly how creative they are in order to make basically the impossible work under limited um, hardware and just constraints that, most other developers don't have to deal with. So, I think that the Switch is like the perfect example of like art style over visual fidelity or, you know, just being able to work with what you've got. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, man. And I 100% agree with yeah. you. Everything Switch exclusive apart from Pokemon Link's Awakening <laughs> and Pokemon because they both had disastrous launches. Yeah. Um everything I've played in handheld, I've never had any problems with. So I don't get where all the hate comes from. Like I wouldn't play Mortal Kombat Eleven on a Switch. Like why? Yeah. And I think it's when you start comparing that the only time to- that's the only time problems arise. If you look at what Nintendo and Nintendo specific uh game makers produce. You see, just top quality there. Yeah, exactly.
1: Like it shouldn't be the next PS5 Xbox Series console. It should just be its own thing, which is exactly what they did with the Wii. It was a complementary console, not your main console. It was supposed to deliver a unique experience, not be the massive AAA game, you know, console. And they have their own AAA types of games, which are, you know, first party developed and second party developed, but you're always going to get like a different experience on the Switch than you'd get on anything else. And uh, yeah, I don't want to gush too much about the Switch, but it's a great console and I really, really like it. The only downside is the Pokemon company is so fucking lazy, they need to take a note or two from Monolith Soft because if Monolith Soft can make games like Xenoblade, one, two, and three work on the Switch, then they need to, you know, help them out with the Pokemon franchise because that is looking like a piece of shit at the moment. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Oh, mate, I'll I'll have you on for my uh, Violet Scarlet episode uh, and we can just shit on it.
1: <laughs> I've done like half of that game and I've given up because I keep playing it thinking... Xenoblade just looks so much better than this, and it's old. <laughs> like,
0: yeah, because what was the time frame release between Violet and Xenoblade 3? It was only a couple of weeks, wasn't it?
1: I think so, yeah, and I'm pretty sure that Xenoblade 3 was in less development time than Scarlet and Violet, maybe? I don't know. I don't know what the Pokemon company does, but you know they they definitely do not anyway. use their resources as wisely as they should
0: definitely nintendo give us a sponsorship we both love the switch
1: yeah like what are they doing pokemon is the most uh what's that word i'm thinking of the highest grossing franchise kind of property in the entire world and they're not funneling the resources in it to make the best possible game they can like what are they doing jumping in pools of cash like Use the money for something decent. I honestly don't know what they're doing with all that money. They're probably funding fucking massive uh, weapons of mass destruction or something that we just don't know about and eventually going to blow up the entire world. But they're idiots.
0: They're the new... They're going to come out with uh, poker coin, the new cryptocurrency.
1: <sighs> I don't know. I think they're going to enslave us all somehow if they can... I don't know use their resources wisely, which apparently they can't do. So, well, they're just letting the money bank up.
0: All right. Um, I'm going to disclose a secret here. Probably a bad one. Um, okay. They've already enslaved me because I've pre-ordered that DLC for
1: Pokemon Vault. I didn't even know DLC was coming. So Yeah, they dropped it on Pokemon Day. Oh, okay. Well, I feel embarrassed for you. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> no. Nah, I- uh, anyway, <laughs> let's get back on track. Yeah.
0: That's okay. Tangents are good. Tangents are good. Um, music, again, exemplary. About six yes. different composers, six or seven. I'm going to butcher their names. Uh, Minami Kiyota, Ace Plus, Tomori Kudo, Hiroyo Chiko, Yamanaka, <laughs> Kenji Hiramatsu, Yoku Shimamura, and Yasunori Mitsuda. Um So I don't know who did what on this in the sound design, um, but the sounds overall were just exemplary. Um, I didn't get bored with the combat music, and in any JRPG that's over 20 hours, that is amazing to say. Yeah, Um, Because I'm eight hours into Persona 3 Portable now, and I'm already over the Tartarus Battle music. So that is just how good this music is it's different and it fits to each area you go into each area feels like the music complements what that area should be so the swamp it's got music that tells me it's a swamp uh high antia tells me that it's a regal palace of up themselves bird people you know what i mean like
1: yeah It's, um, the, the music is definitely like one of the high points for sure. There are some heavy hitters in this composer list for sure. Like Yasunori Matsuda, he worked on like Chrono Trigger, Xenogears, Chrono Cross, like he's done a ton of high profile stuff and his name and his legacy speaks for itself, especially like in this game and Xenoblade Chronicles 2, like, These games, I think because there is so much music in these games, it's hard to exactly pick out one or two tracks that are a massive highlight, you know what I mean? Like, take a Nobuo Uematsu soundtrack from a Final Fantasy and you you can name maybe three or four tracks from it that are really stellar, but it's like three or four tracks out of maybe 20 total tracks. Here, it's like you've got like 70 different tracks or something. It's so hard to pick exactly which one is the best one, which one isn't, blah, blah, blah. And not only that, every single environment has a different sound and song associated with it, whether you are whether you are there during the day or the night, like this the music completely changes with the time of day, which is amazing. So yeah, everything associated with this game's soundtrack I think is perfection. I can't think of a single song in any of this game. Uh, yeah, no, I can't think of anything in the game that I found annoying soundtrack wise. And come to think of it, Xenoblade Chronicles 2 and 3 are the same. Xenoblade Chronicles X, though, has a couple of stinking songs that I don't, I don't like very much. But anyway. The whole franchise, like, it's the music is stellar. You can't go wrong.
0: Yep. And even the sound effects. um, Yeah. I did find at times the music kind of overrode the sound effects. um, Yeah. Which sometimes was a good thing because the party talk throughout a battle could definitely become repetitive.
1: I was Um, about to say that. That is the one shit stain on the entire franchise is the repetitive vocal lines especially during combat
0: yeah um that's a problem i think with a lot of dubbed media um voice actors don't get paid very well and they tend to use the same lines over and over again where they can to try and cut that cost uh because they're essentially paying twice the money for both the Japanese and the English localization. Um, but the weapons, the swords sounded like swords. Uh, the Monado made a nice zzz as it went through the air sometimes. Um, Sharla's rifle sounded like a rifle. Mm-hmm. It was all pretty on point in terms of that. Melia's casting sounds, I don't, I didn't use her too much. Do you? have anything you want to say on like the casting sounds or anything like that?
1: Um, I mean, not particularly. That just sounds like magic. Yeah. <laughs> um. But yeah, on, on that vocal thing about combat, you can turn the voices off during battle, uh, which is in the option somewhere. So if it becomes a problem, definitely do that. But it's, it's a problem that I've had with every single game in the franchise. It's, Really repetitive when it comes to battle vocal lines, and I wish they would do something about it like patch out or patch in some new vocal lines for all of the characters would be fantastic, but it's not going to happen.
0: Yeah, and that's pretty much it, apart from the DLC. Um, oh, yeah, without going as into spoilers, obviously, because it is set after the main game. Um, Having played both the Wii and the Switch version, obviously it wasn't in the Wii. Did you feel that this complemented the game, having this in?
1: I think so. I think ultimately it doesn't really do much that wows me. Like, um, for example... I was sort of expecting there to be some sort of massive revelation that would have knock-on effects with the entire franchise. That didn't quite happen. It was a more introspective kind of character study between two of the main party members and two new characters. And it was just sort of like a more self-contained experience. And it was a nice lengthy 12-hour self-contained experience that I enjoyed. And I really liked playing something new and experiencing something new, given that it's been such a long time since the original Wii version came out. So new content is always a bonus. But if you were expecting, like me, to experience something that is on par with the main story of the main game and have the kind of massive revelations and story plot points as the main game, you would probably be a little bit disappointed. And I think I was maybe a little bit disappointed I think ultimately I was like, oh, something like maybe something that has to do with this DLC will carry over to one of the other games. I'm sure it has a point, but as of yet, and having played three, um, nothing that happened in the DLC (laughs) has had any sort of impact on anything. So that's a bit unfortunate. Yeah, I
0: had high hopes for it uh, before going into it. Um, I thought
1: it's called Future
0: Connected. So I was thinking in my mind, oh, this will bridge between one and two, not knowing anything about two at this point and just having finished one. Um, So I was a little disappointed with the story overall. Um, Like you you said, though, it does close off some parts of the story. Um, So I feel like it was a welcome addition overall. I didn't notice too much difference in graphical fidelity. Um, so I'm wondering, I'm curious as to when this was actually thought of and made or whether it was... Oh. Yeah, go on.
1: Go on. I know. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I don't think it's a bit of... It's not a spoiler uh, exactly. So without context, it won't make much sense to anyone listening, but the Future Connected DLC takes place on the Bionis' shoulder, and that level had already been designed as of the Wii version of the game, but it was cut content that they didn't end up using. So when they decided to make this epilogue, they just recycled that same location that they previously had in the Wii that didn't actually okay. make it to the main game. So yeah, that's probably why it's still you know, very similar to how it looks That with makes the rest me of the game.
0: feel a little bit better about it. Um... Yeah. Even though it was cut content and I like games being released as full games, um, it's good that they didn't just think it up in a way to be money-hungry for selling the new version in terms of DLC. Yeah. Um, yeah.
1: I think, just just to clarify, um, I, d- I don't think that Future Connected's story was planned for the Wii version. I think they just had this level yeah. left over. So they were like, okay, we've got this resource. We'll use that and put something together. So they didn't like sink a whole bunch of other like extraneous resources into making a really in-depth experience. They were just like, okay, we'll we'll just expand on what we've got left over and we'll make something that will hopefully make the fans happy.
0: 12 12 hours more content of Xenoblade though is always welcome in my books. Absolutely. So recommendations and who is this for? Adam 2.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um okay, well I will always recommend this game to basically anyone who has any interest in JRPGs and specifically JRPGs. I would hesitantly recommend it to people who aren't well versed in role-playing games, especially Japanese ones. Um just because it sort of has that Japanese flair to it that is sort of on the line of anime and stuff like You either love it or you hate it. Um, If you hate anime, if you hate kind of Japanese things in general, you may find things in here which will really irritate you. So, stay away. But if you're open to the experience and you like role-playing games, this is definitely the best one that was released on the Wii and one of the best that is currently available for the Switch. I don't want to say it's like the best of all time or anything like that, but there is a reason why the Xenoblade Chronicles franchise has continued on past this game. And, you know, to be perfectly honest, I didn't think it would. I never thought it would get a sequel. And it keeps surprising me by how much faith Nintendo has put in this franchise. And it keeps growing. And each game has been better and better and better. It's tried new things. It's grown as far as like mechanics and storytelling is concerned and i highly recommend that if you are at all interested in the franchise at all you absolutely must start with xenoblade chronicles definitive edition it's the best place to start then from there if you like it if it's your cup of tea continue on and keep going because it's a really great franchise and shouldn't be missed out by anyone who has a switch and likes rpgs
0: excellent thank you um i will also highly recommend this game In particular, to Switch owners who like JRPGs, you are missing out. um, If you don't have this on your Switch right now, go get it. Um, I know Nintendo doesn't really go under full price a lot, um, but find a cheap copy somewhere and play it uh, because it's a. I would pay double
1: the amount for it.
0: Fantastic game.
1: Um, I was curious as well, by the way how um let me rephrase that did you have high hopes when you first started it because i i was sort of under the impression that you were a bit hesitant about whether or not you would actually like
0: yeah, it yeah um i was quite hesitant um i love jrpgs however i am notoriously bad at finishing jrpgs and i wanted this to be a yeah. game that i would finish um so being an anime watcher for a number of years as well, I was worried that I'd just be too exposed to the tropes. And I was worried from Xenoblade 2's reputation for fan service that there might
1: be a little bit too much yeah. of that,
0: but there wasn't at all in this one.
1: Yeah, thankfully. And yeah, I kept trying <laughs> to push you to keep... Keep doing it, keep playing it, cause it gets better. Like it's this sort of interesting thing about this game where it starts off very sort of innocently, and then you're hit with that first plot twist, which is Fiora's death that we mentioned earlier. And then it's kind of like, keep going. And then, you know, it kind of slumps a little bit because you you're not quite sure if you're going to get that sort of story again. And then it just builds and builds and builds and crescendos and It keeps going, but it just takes like a somewhere around the little beginning area. I think a lot of people would probably drop off if they didn't stick with it. But if you stick with it and you get that taste of what's to come, you just want to keep going until the end. It's great. I did
0: need a bit of a spacer game in between um, around that Mm. chapter four or five mark. Um, And there's 14 chapters overall in this game, plus the DLC. So, I think, but definitely once I hit that chapter eight mark, I was all in until the end. Um, so yeah, really picked up there.
1: Nice, okay, cool. So, so what's next?
0: Uh, before we close out, I'll give you one more opportunity to tell us where to find you.
1: Yeah, oh, okay. <laughs> Well, you can find me on my podcast, The Good, The Bad, and The Backlog. And to get there, just Google The Good, The Bad, and The Backlog or you know, search on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You'll find us there. And for anything else like social media related, um, I don't want to plug my merch because that's a bit gross. But anyway, there are a bunch of links on my link tree. Linktr.ee slash good bad backlog. So, yeah, hop on there. Um, oh, and also hop into my Discord and have a chat there. It would be great to have some more people to talk to. Awesome. Uh, that's Thank
0: you once again for coming on. Uh, really appreciate it. No problem. And I'm glad that it was for a game that you love so much. Um, I know even with one hour of time difference, this is still, it was still hard to organize this. Um, climb zones suck, people, <laughs> let me tell you. I don't know how you record with Kieran as often as you do.
1: Oh, yeah uh, um so him being in the uk and me being in australia um it actually kind of works out perfectly because he's a morning person and i sort of am as well but um most of the time if i'm just finishing work in my nine to five day job he is just waking up so (laughs) we can like do it almost immediately after i finish work and it it's perfectly fits me but um yeah i mean it's fine i'm happy to be here thanks for having me as your first guest it's awesome and um yeah get those yeah. kids to bed early yeah <laughs> we exactly. won't have a problem <laughs> all righty
0: so thank you once again everyone for listening he's adam i'm adam this is revival and extinction and this is the end